Thanks for joining us on Leading Beyond the Code by Cadre Connect. This is the podcast where we go beyond the surface of technology and explore the transformative power of leadership through interviews with industry leaders. Hosted by me, Ben Malloy. Okay, so welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Michael Sanders. Michael is co-founder and chief storyteller at Horizon. Well, what can I say, Michael? Great to have you on the show today. I'm so excited about this. So welcome. Uh, yeah, welcome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. I'm excited to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I think a really nice point to start on would be just a bit of background on Horizon and what that is in a nutshell and, and what service you provide there and what, what you kind of do there. Yeah. So Horizon, we're focused on making Web3 easy, fun, and accessible for everyone, both users and builders. So to achieve that mission, we're very much focused on enabling and accelerating the creation of Web3 content. We do that through Sequence, which is our all-in-one developer platform that makes building Web3 games and applications easy. And then we also have our own video game called Skyweeper, which is a free-to-play trading card game uh, where players can win, own, and trade their items. Really novel mechanics, really fun game. Uh, But yeah, it's just ultimately about unlocking Web3's utility and driving its adoption so that people around the world can benefit from it. Amazing. Um, This is, you know, I've been doing a lot of research, like I mentioned before we hit record, and this is really, really cutting edge technology. It's kind of mind-blowing, really, when you dig into it. So I really want to find out about how you got to this point. I mean, what what kind of career path does it take to get here where you are? I, I always find that when I ask people about career paths that work in technology, it's never like a linear linear journey never uh it's always kind of here there and everywhere so i'd be really interested to find out what what yours is yeah well for me personally i've been in the blockchain space since 2010 uh when i first heard of bitcoin so it's 13 years now and then i had the fortune of meeting vitalik buterin the inventor of ethereum wow in january 2014 wow Uh, So he was only 18 years old at the time. It was a year before Ethereum launched. He was speaking to a room full of just 20 people, just as a concept of like Ethereum and smart contracts and decentralization. And um, I was covered in goosebumps when I heard him speaking. And I told my friend that I think Vitalik's an alien from the future that's here to teach us about technology, economics, and love. And that's when I fell in love with the notion of Ethereum and of Web3 of this next generation of the internet where users and creators and developers can all create these symbiotic ecosystems, can all share in the value of the ecosystems they participate Mm in. Um, And it just, yeah, it struck me as this new frontier, as this new internet. And um, yeah, you know, I I was a vice president of an advertising agency. I authored a best-selling book about ayahuasca. I co-founded a uh, music and dance experience. Um, and also I co-founded a clean energy company where we did a lot of R&D into clean energy. Um, but it was in uh, 2017 that I met one of my co-founders and our CEO, Peter Kieldzinka. And to my knowledge, she was the first person to ever conceptualize blockchain games. Wow. And when he, when he told me that, I thought, holy shit, this is it. This is how we can welcome the world to Web3 and do it in a really fun and loving yeah. way. Because, you know, prior to then, Web3 blockchain is pretty esoteric. Mm-hmm. It still is for some folks, right? Um, but I could see that, you know, Peter had this vision. And I also understood that he had the wherewithal and 
the you know the technical capacity to build for this future that he could envision. He um, you know his career is in developer infrastructure and consumer applications. He's built some of the most award-winning apps like the Score mobile app that's you know in the Apple Hall of Fame, and he's built just he's built and sold. Uh, successful companies and just a major open source contributor, big decentralization advocate, and um, yeah, an amazing architect of both businesses and technology. So when he was sharing this idea with me, I was like, yes, like this is how we can do it. And so we, we co-founded or we founded Horizon at the end of 2017 with exactly the mission I um, mentioned to you earlier about making Web3 easy, fun, and accessible for everyone. Amazing. I mean, what I find really interesting is about that and your career history um, is that it's, well, one, it's really, really inspiring. Um, and you kind of just, it seems like you take on opportunities that you're genuinely passionate about, you know, that you can get yeah. behind. I mean, obviously back in the day, you know, 2010, 2013, you know, when blockchain and things like that and Bitcoin, et cetera, were kind of in its very, very infant stages. You know, how on earth do you know at that stage if it's something that can take off, if it's something that's worth investing in, you know, put all your eggs in that basket. How do you know? Honestly, man, I just, I listen to my gut yeah. and my intuition and if it feels good, you know, yeah. like I, I can't involve myself in something that doesn't feel good. Um, obviously there are days where you go through difficulties working on a mission, right? It's not as though every day feels amazing. Mm -hmm. Like you go through struggles, but if the mission, the vision feels good, then I can get on board. And in fact, it, it feels like a prerequisite for me to devote my life to something, you yeah. know, like I, I really feel as though enabling Web3 is, is part of my life's purpose. And in the past organizations I, you know, worked in or co-founded, like those things too were part of my, my life's purpose. So for me, it's, yeah, it's just about like, does this feel like something I can devote my life to and, and and will it feel good? And then that means it's there's a, a potential that I could do it for the long term. That is such a brilliant philosophy for a career in technology. You know, I, I really, I really feel that. Um, it feels that if you were stuck in a, uh, I don't know, a basic coding job, I think you'd go insane. You know, um, <laughs> you've really got to believe what you're doing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just feel like you're going to spend a lot of your life at work. Yeah. And I think that work should just really inspire Absolutely. you, you know, and of course there can be stepping stones. Like maybe you're working on something that let's say someone out there isn't incredibly passionate about, but they kind of, they have a vision for where they want to go. That's really cool too. Yep. Um, and you know, people have different reasons for why they're at work. Sometimes people don't have the same freedom or mobility. Um, but yeah, for me, I just, I really want to be working on something that I believe is important meaningful and can make an impact whether large or small I, I don't think it matters as much that kind of depends on the individual I, I think web3 has an opportunity to impact virtually every single person on the planet so it is a, a big and ambitious mission um but you know everyone has their own journey and i think even if you impact one person yeah positively well, that you know that could be as valuable as impacting everyone absolutely um, and what i love about the tech industry and the tech space is that you can you can do this it's moving forward it's moving fast you can work in tech for good you know it's it's i think it's probably possibly one of the only industries that you can find your purpose in it regardless of what that is if you know what i mean yeah i think you know 
in many ways, technology reminds me of art. Yeah. Because I feel as though a lot of artists are similarly, you know, wanting to make an impact on the world, wanting to put something out there that positively impacts people. And I think, you know, the tech industry kind of marries some of that artistic expression mm -hmm. with uh, the business side of things. Not saying that artists don't do that, but just kind of, you know, the tech industry generally, there's obviously a big business mm -hmm. focus on it. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think the tech space is uh, a wonderful place for people to explore and to find their purpose. Yeah, and what's wonderful is that, you know, behind every piece of technology, there's a person or there's people. I think yeah. often, you know, people see the tech, but they don't see the people behind the tech and their own stories and their own reasons for building the tech. So it's really nice to speak to people like yourself and yourself because you're the person behind the technology. And, and it's nice to hear your purpose and why you're doing what you do. You know, I find that really fascinating because people can so, so easily, because technology is so readily available, it's everywhere, like, you know, it's literally everywhere now. There's, but there's people behind all of it. There's people behind every single bit of technology that we're, we're used to using and seeing. Um, totally. Man. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, people, a lot of the reason people build technology is to solve one of their own problems. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or to solve the problem of someone near and dear to them. And then it turns out that they're not the only one with that issue. Yep. So let's see if we can scale it and share it with as many people as possible. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really want to. I really want to really talk about implementing Web three features into games. Mm. So this is. I mean, would I would I be right in saying in its kind of infancy? I mean, it feels like everything kind of Web three is still it's, it's still quite early days because it's just the future of it is so vast. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the benefits of implementing Web3 into into games. Yeah, so I agree. It's definitely early days. I would say we're entering the second generation of Web3 games um, in that the first generation had to largely focus on the technical complexity of integrating Web3, whereas I now feel as though we're entering the second phase. And I think that's largely enabled by, you know, things that we're building and others with Sequence as this developer platform mm -hmm. um, to just take care of all the Web3 and blockchain stuff so that game makers can focus on making actually like really fun games and exploring new design space. Um, so I think we're, we're, we're in like we're in the early days of that second generation. And some of, you know, a lot of the benefits and opportunities around Web3 game revolve around ownership uh, and interoperability. Mm -hmm. And just the enablement of new experiences that weren't possible in traditional or Web2 games. And just to like give some examples, you know, like let's say you're playing a video game, you could have extra game quests and activities whereby like the folks who own a particular collectible, mm -hmm. let's say it, like we could use the term Web3 collectible or NFT, whatever, you know, just a, a, an item that is on chain that you own in a decentralized manner. Yeah. Um, and so you're free to do with it whatever you want. You can play with it, you can trade it, you can gift it to your friend, it's yours, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't belong to the game company, it belongs to you. And so you could have it so that like everyone who owns a particular collectible, they get to play on a certain team right? Or and they're all together, right? And that's how you sort, sort teams. Or it could be that folks who own a particular collectible get access to a new game mode. Maybe it's an exclusive game mode or it's just a different kind of game mode with like new mechanics and it's fun. Um, or you could, um, you know, you could actually, as a game maker, you could deliver rewards to folks who own a particular collectible. Mm -hmm. 
Um, let's say, like, let's just say you're someone's playing Fortnite, right? And they own a skin. Fortnite could then give them, could just drop them, like gift them an invite to some exclusive event. Yeah. And that event could be in-game or like a concert in-game, or it could be to a physical world mm-hmm. event, right? Like some Fortnite gathering, mm-hmm. right? You know, they're hosting in New York City or wherever, and you get an invite to a dinner or, or something to that effect. But what's also cool is that like even third parties could add value to the owners of those collect those collectibles, like if they own a Fortnite skin, right? It could be that Nike third-party brand just looks at it and is like, oh, you own that Fortnite collectible. We're going to airdrop you, gift you uh, discounts to Nike gear. So you get 50% off your next pair of shoes mm-hmm. or you get, you know, tickets to a sports game or whatever, right? Like, so there's opportunities for other folks to add value to owners of particular collectibles. And I, there's like, and then if we think about like interoperability, for example, um, you could have a, a game item that can exist in multiple different virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a lot of sense for things like digital fashion. Like if yeah. you are Nike, right? You might want your shoes to show up in Fortnite, in League of Legends, in NBA 2K. And then as a user, like that's a really cool benefit to you because you can show off your yeah. gear in like different virtual worlds, different games, right? And I think that'll become increasingly important with things like, you know, like the Apple Vision Pro or what Meta is doing with the metaverse. Like you have your stuff that you can own in all these environments. And so there, there's cool interoperability there, or you can have like um, cross-pollination between games, something that we did with our game Skyweaver and uh, this role-playing game called Hunters on Chain is that people who owned a particular collectible from Hunters on Chain, it gave them access to a certain experience in Skyweaver right. and then vice versa. If you own a Skyweaver card, you went over to Hunters on Chain and that meant you unlocked, you like advanced your progression yeah. in the Hunters on Chain game. So it's a really cool way for like games to collaborate. And then I think there's this whole notion of like just really enhanced collectability, mm. right? Because you can have just, because you own them, there's like, you know, there's just more of an incentive to own it because you can, if you get bored with it, you can just sell it afterwards. And so you might want to collect all different kinds of collections. Um, And I'm really excited for UGC, user-generated content, right? Because this is a way that both players and game makers can benefit together. So let's say, Ben, like you're playing, um, I don't know, let's say you're playing like Grand Theft Auto, right? And then you, I don't know, you, you create like a custom car and then it goes for sale in the game. And then you get like, let's say, um, Rockstar, you know, the maker of Grand Theft Auto, let's say they get, I don't know, 8% of every sale. And you, as the creator, you get 5% of every Mm -hmm. sale or, or it could be the inverse, whatever. Right. And so that's really great for Rockstar because now they can um, leverage the creativity of their entire audience to create new content for the game. And then for players, they can be like, cool, like I can participate in the mm-hmm. economic activity and the upside of, of items, you know, being bought and, and, and sold. Um, you've just, you've so just met my uh, hair stand up on end there. That's quite amazing. Yeah. That vision right? is like, absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of like I don't know if I want to say the holy grail, yeah. but like one of the really cool possibilities that we're kind of seeing the early inklings of. Um, and because like it really allows players to not only be creators mm. or sorry, to not only be players, they can also be creators. They can be contributors to a game or an ecosystem. 
they can be Web3 enthusiasts, you know? It's like they get to grow and like help inform and evolve the digital ecosystems that that they care about. And I think that's really empowering for, and, and again, for both the developer and the player, because it's just, you know, like developers, right? It, it's it's very difficult to satiate the the needs of the community. Like the community can consume content so much faster yeah. than developers can make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you can crowdsource it and like, and then incentivize your audience to contribute, like wow. you you have a thriving ecosystem. Yeah. So it's, it's really exciting. And like, we're even seeing just already just some kind of stats. Like there's this game Hunters on Chain that leverages sequence and it, they have a web two version of the game. And now they have Hunters on Chain, which is the web three version. And they're seeing great metrics. Like they have 4.5 times higher day 30 retention. They have over seven times higher average revenue per user. Wow. And like, they're just seeing significantly more spending wow. in the game. And it's because, or at least in part because one, it's a great game and two, because people get to own the things, right? And, and so there's there's more of a reason for them mm. to own. Um, so yeah, I think that's like some of the benefits and that's just kind of like what are at the top of my yeah. mind. I and mean, just imagine like where this is going, how it'll evolve. I'm clearly not thinking of everything, right? So it. it I just think it's it's an amazing space. Absolutely incredible. Genuinely incredible. Um, we'll touch on sequence shortly, but I, I want to find out there must be a lot of challenges that you're, you fa you've faced in the past and in recent years because, as I say, it's such cutting-edge stuff and, and what you're creating is so creative and ahead of the curve. What have been some of those challenges? And, and how have you kind of navigated round them all through them? I mean, how do you remain kind of agile and um, malleable, I guess, in, in, in facing those challenges? Mm -hmm. You know, when we started at the end of 2017, we really wanted, we, we kind of, the first product we were going to market with was Skyweaver, the game, yeah. right? Because we really wanted to create something that our friends could enjoy and play and didn't need to know anything about blockchain or crypto. Like that's just all abstracted away. Like they don't need to care about that yeah. stuff, right? It's just make a fun game that anyone can play. It was the goal of it. And we knew that there were tons of blockchain infrastructure pain points that we were going to need to solve. And so we also knew we were going to have to build like solve, like create those solutions and we would productize those solutions into a developer platform. So it was always the plan to, to make both, right? Because um, we wouldn't have known what to make in the developer platform unless we were working on a game and solving all of our own Absolutely. problems, right? And so over the years, we faced, yeah, a, a number of challenges, but to kind of condense it for the sake of conversation, there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of challenges around wallets and accounts just allowing someone to connect to and access yeah. a game, a lot of friction there. Um, then you need to think about payments. So like dealing with gas fees, because anyone that's interacted with a, a blockchain, you know that anytime a transaction center data is written to the network, there's a gas fee associated with that. The issue though, is that that gas fee is denominated in a token such as ETH or Matic or AVAX, depending on the blockchain you're on. And if you're a new user to Web3, you don't own any of those tokens. So you might be trying to just make a move in a game or trade an item. And then you're asked to pay like the equivalent of a one cent fee and some token you've never heard of. And like, you don't have it. Like, yeah. how are you going to do it? Right? Like, that's just, it's, a, it's crazy friction for someone new to the space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's gas, there's also payments, just like 
being able to buy a Web3 item. Yep. Because if you don't own cryptocurrency to do that, you're kind of stuck. So we you know, have to figure out ways. How do you enable that for credit and debit card, for example? Um, also, like enabling trade, right? So the default solution uh, in recent years for Web3 games has been to um, send players to a third-party marketplace to trade the game items from your game. Okay. Um, but this is disadvantageous for a couple reasons. Like one, you know, as a game maker, you've invested all this time and energy into bringing players into your game in the first place. And now you're sending them out of the experience. Yeah. And it, so it's just like breaking the flow, right? And then who knows, they might go there and not return to your game. That's that's not mm -hmm. good, right? And also the third party is of course not branded, doesn't look like your game. And then a lot of folks just aren't, they're going to feel a little sketched out. Like they're, they're not, they're not necessarily going to trust this third party marketplace. And so, you know, it, it's just, and also you can't collect royalties on that third party marketplace in, in most cases or transaction fees. So you're kind of like, it's a loss on revenue. It's a worse player experience. So friction around the marketplace. Right. And then there's just dealing with blockchain data. Um, so like working with blockchain data is a bit complex in terms of being able to serve it real time. Right to your users so that they know what they own, what they can play with, what they can trade, et cetera. And like the nodes as well, like nodes are where you get the blockchain data from. And sometimes they just go down. And when they go down, so too does your game for you and your players. And so a lot of just like, yeah, there's there were a lot of friction points that we had to solve and deal with over the years. It's like a minefield. Uh, there's so much to think about. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And I think, you know, I think you mentioned trust, and I think that is a point that I really do want to talk about. So, as I keep saying um, on this podcast, it's cutting edge stuff. Um, it's new to a lot of people. You know, if you're if you're trading, like um, essentially, if people are paying for things in this virtual yeah. world, how do you how do you develop trust with those new people entering into this space? Because it could be quite overwhelming or, um, uh, yeah, difficult to understand as a new user, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there are a couple points on trust. Like, so, you know, one of the aims of Ethereum of blockchains is to enable trustlessness, mm -hmm. right? Like, you don't need to trust any other entity, if you own, for example, a cryptocurrency or a collectible, mm -hmm. you're going to own it, whether that company disappears or, or not, right. right? Like you still own the item. Now, the utility of that item, you know, in some cases does depend on the company or the application persisting, mm -hmm. right? So, um, but the, you know, the transactions, right? Like they all occur on the blockchain in a decentralized manner that has no middle people in there so you don't you don't have to trust anyone else that the execution will occur or that the transaction will occur so that's one really good mm -hmm. part um i think though if you know like to attract players to a game they're gonna have to invest some form of trust yeah. right like trust enough that they're gonna click play trust enough that they're gonna buy an item that they think it's worthwhile enough yeah. right and in that case I, I think it's similar to building an application in the traditional web or web two, right? Like you got to show what you're doing, you know, like if you market it in a genuine way, 
you perhaps you build in the open, you show your roadmap, you share your vision, you invite users to early access so that they can get a sense for what's being built. You have a community, you know, whether it's on Discord or, you know, socials or whatever, yeah. where people can talk with the team and get a feel. And then, you know, you kind of build a small community yeah. and then over time, it really starts to accelerate. And then you have all of these ambassadors um, for your for your game. And I think that that's that really lends a lot of trust to new folks if they see like, oh, there's 100,000 people in this community yeah. and tons of them have been around for years. And when you go into the Discord, folks are talking about how great every, you know, it is like that. That's a very welcoming mm -hmm. environment, right? So I think, you know, treating your community really well is is one of the best ways to build trust. And that, that you know, involves honoring your word, um, being transparent, being honest, building things with good intentions, you know, acknowledging when you make mistakes, mm -hmm. when you mess up, yep. um, rectifying those mistakes. Like, I think all, all of those things help build trust. Absolutely. Um, yeah, really interesting points there. Um, and I mentioned we were going to talk about Sequence Builder, um, which mm -hmm. is a no-code dashboard for building and managing Web3 games. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, could you just explain a little bit what that is and, and, and uh, its purpose, essentially? Yeah, so... The builder, which you're specifically mentioning is, yeah, it's a no-code dashboard that allows folks to build Web3 games or integrate Web3 into existing games or applications. And yeah, it's like kind of like the user interface to access the Sequence developer platform. And just to take a step back, this, the Sequence platform is this all-in-one comprehensive and modular platform that solves all of the issues I mentioned earlier. Yep and gives developers everything they need to build a Web3 game. So it takes care of wallets and accounts. Like we've done a lot of pioneering work around smart contract and account abstraction wallets. Not sure if that means anything to the audience, but basically it makes wallets seamless, secure. You can make them invisible. Yep. Um, just make them super intuitive so that you can use things like social or email sign-on or you know build it into your existing authentication system if you already have a game. Mm. So it's just, you know, super easy to deal with. Um, Sequence also takes care of transactions. It enables gasless transactions so that users never need to think about or pay for gas. Um, it also has payment rails and solutions so that users can buy um, game items and collectibles using credit or debit, you know, right. just like a traditional Web2 experience. They don't need to learn about any new technologies. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have the Sequence Marketplace engine, which allows game makers to create an in-game branded marketplace to make it instant, easy, and secure for their players to be able to trade items all within the game's experience, right? And at the same time, the developer can monetize the economic activity in the marketplace. So they can take transaction fees and royalties, um, divide it up how they choose. Like, you know, with the UGC, the user-generated content I mentioned earlier, you could divide it up mm -hmm. um, in terms of who you want to send the royalties to. Um, and then, yeah, and then there we have an indexer for handling blockchain data, like super fast, easy API for that. And then a node gateway that aggregates various node providers, including some of our own, our own internally managed nodes. And it just makes sure that your game is always up and running. Um, so it just, it just switches between them in case one goes down so that the game is always up and running for you and your players. And um, yeah, and then there, there's SDKs, whether you're building with Unity, Unreal Engine, mobile, web. Um, and yeah, and so the builder is what gives you access to all of these tools in just like a 
kind of click and drag and drop manner so that yeah. even someone like me, who's not, not a dev, I don't know how to code, um, or at least not well, like I've coded a couple of super minor things, but like I, I can work with it yeah. and I can create my marketplace. I can get game, like web three game items in my games, um, deploy smart contracts. Like it's, um, yeah, it just, it just makes it easy to build with. And so the builders coming out, um, this year and, and it just, it really expands the surface area of folks that were able to serve mm-hmm. and enable and accelerate Web3 content. Because right now you can still do it. Um, you just reference our, do- our documentation and lots of, lots of games are, are leveraging our documentation now. And, you know, they speak with our uh, BD team and our support team mm-hmm. um, if they need help. But what the builder really does is it makes it so you don't have to ever talk with anyone you don't need to reference the docs you can just start clicking around and playing yeah um almost kind of like if you know if anyone's ever made a website yeah like that's what i was thinking yeah 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 i mean this is really interesting it it seems like everything we've spoken about leads back to your purpose which you were mentioning in the beginning um also this you know sequence it's it's huge like it's massive (laughs) i mean this is a big question how do you build something on that scale? You know, there's so it's so multi multifaceted. There's so much to do, so much to do with it, and it's got to be easy for the user. It's got to be easy, um, yeah, and simple. And it's such a complicated thing that you're you're doing, tying it together into mm-hmm. one nice, easy to use, easy to navigate system. How do you do that? That is, to me, that blows my mind. <laughs> Man, it blows my mind too. I ask myself the same question. And it's it's really a testament to our team. Like, wow. you know, Peter with his ability to envision the future and build for it. And of course, our entire product and engineering team um, building this stuff and having the foresight to, yeah, these guys, they see into the future. Yep. Like we have so many geniuses in their respective domains at our company. And this expands across product and engineering to our, our business development team who is always listening to our partners and like, hey, what do you need to make it better? Like, where are you stuck? You know, what haven't we thought of? And then they, you know, relay that information to the product team and then we start implementing it, you know, if it'll add value. And then our marketing team just sharing, like helping co-market and helping work with partners and just helping get the message out so then mm-hmm. folks know to use it. And then that gives us more feedback loops, right? And community. And of course we have like internal functions and everything. Like you need your operations, your HR, your legal, mm-hmm. like finance team. So it, it's it's absolutely a team effort. But yeah, I, I often reflect on how comprehensive the sequence stack is. And and it is mind blowing. Like I, I, it, it is the only one of it, its kind in terms of like its comprehensive nature. And it's because like, you know, I think up before sequence existed, game makers would have to piece together a lot of different solutions. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you got, you got your wallet, but then it's like, just having a wallet is not sufficient for a game. Like you can have the best wallet, but if it doesn't enable everything else I talked yeah. about, like marketplaces, assless transactions and like indexing, like the player, it's a, it's a poor player journey, you know, it's, so we really, we, we kind of, it was out of necessity that we had to go with this all in one approach so that a game maker can come to us and it's like, they don't want to stitch together eight different solutions, yeah. right? And if we can make everything work holistically and seamlessly, then we're massively accelerating their time to mar- the game maker's time to market um, and their ability to deliver something amazing. It's technology like this that makes me think that we are just on the cusp of 
this space absolutely kind of exploded, mm -hmm. which yeah. I find really exciting. Um, there's another point that I wanted to talk about. You know, I've, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people in technology, and it seems like I mean, I know the tech space is very, uh, it's a very giving, knowledge sharing space, uh, typically. Mm. Um, is it like in the game making space of technology? Is it the same? Is it you know across other game makers and people doing similar things to yourself, similar businesses, or you know? Is it kind of knowledge sharing across everyone to help build the the overall uh, space, or is it kind of like cut off and it's like competition almost? Um, man, there's a lot of knowledge sharing, like j tremendous amounts. Yeah. You know, like especially because you know folks can look at our GitHub and see the code we're working on. You know, and like some of the stuff we create is open source, and Amazing. over time, more of it will become open source. So. There's there's a lot of sharing, and we we talk with so many people in the ecosystem, and like there's knowledge sharing across all different aspects of the business, right? Yep. From product and engineering to marketing to you know finance to legal, like we're all. And and I think Web three is a very collaborative ecosystem. That's part yep. of the ethos of the decentralization and the permissionless nature of being able to build with other folks' creations, and then like being having composability and able, being able to like create on top of what others have built without even needing to ask wow. them, right? So it, it just has a collaborative spirit about it. And then that is infused into the game makers of this generation building in Web3. And like even in our sequence Discord community, you see different game makers sharing ideas and um, about, you know, how they're approaching economy. And it's cool because like maybe sometimes they're from different genres, like, you know, maybe one's like a sports game yeah. and another is a trading card game and another is a, a shooter or whatever, and they can share. Maybe they're the same genre because obviously there's room for more than one game in a genre, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, I think it's very collaborative and, you know, and surely there's people who, you know, keep secrets because they they kind of have to, or it's like to their advantage. And then once they release it, maybe they share more yeah. about, you know, that they might do a case study on their success. Um, but yeah, I do find generally it's a very collaborative space, which makes it extra wonderful. So it's uh, something that I think we're all grateful for. Absolutely. That's really nice to hear um, because, yeah, I just didn't know, you know, and you never know. Um, but in terms of, you know, all the stuff that you've done, the list is, it goes on forever. You know, I just don't know how you find the time and energy to do it. Um, I want to talk about Skyweaver um, yeah. as well. So I was doing research on this and it's quite amazing. And, you know, just for the listener again, can you explain a little bit about what that is and, and how that kind of works? That'd be amazing. Yeah. Skyweaver is, it's a trading card game, strategic trading card game. So if anyone's ever played Magic the Gathering, Pokemon or Hearthstone, it's in that vein. Mm -hmm. um, but it has like really novel mechanics and new ways of like a new perspective on how you can have a trading card game. Um, of course, it's digital, you know, like Magic and Pokemon, you know, the primary experience is, is physical, but Skyweaver is a, a digital trading card game, but it, it shares some of the attributes of those physical trading card games because the cards are Web3 items, yep. right? Okay. They're secured on the blockchain so you can actually own them. So it's like you're showing up to the table or like the island that is what Skyweaver players play on. It's like you're showing up to that game with your deck. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really cool. And you can trade those cards just like you could with physical magic, the gathering. 
Um, and yeah, it's like got beautiful art and graphics that I just like, I'm not the best trading card game player. I'll be very upfront okay. about that. But I just love being in the game experience I, because of like the visuals mm -hmm. and, and the feel of it. And I love collecting the cards because the artwork's super beautiful. And I'm definitely, I would say in the minority, like mo most players are like, they're, they're trading card game strategy players. But then there is a percentage of players who are more like the collector type and just like they appreciate art. Um, so there's kind of something for a variety of players in it. And um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's available on mobile, web, you know, for Mac, Windows, Linux, et cetera, iOS, Android. Um, and it, it's free to play. And there are modes for casual players. There are modes for ultra competitive players. And we have like a really loyal and engaged user base. Many players have been playing for years. So that's like, and just a wonderful, passionate international community. And the game, like, it, yeah, it, it has good unit economics when you think about like the average revenue per user. And I think a lot of that is due to the Web3 components of it and it being like a fun and engaging yeah. game. Um, and yeah, and we have a really exciting roadmap with uh, new game modes, new items, new things for players to explore, an economy update. We haven't kind of discussed it publicly yet, so I'll be a bit vague in terms of, of what's coming, but it's it's really exciting. Um, and yeah, pl players love it. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really great example of how a game can be made uh, leveraging Web3 mm -hmm. and really serve both players and the game maker, the developer. Absolutely. As we've been talking, this is constant, you know, I've been constantly thinking about a conversation that I've had with my brother because what we've been talking about today is, is just how it just reminds me of how much this space has developed. You know, me and my brother were talking about Doom, the game. It was released, I think it was in 1992. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there was only five people that built that game, but that was really cutting edge at that time. I think John Carmack and John Romeo were the, were the built initial people, I think. Um, and it just, from then, which, you know, in the tech space, well, in, in the world, 30 years is quite a substantial amount of time. In the tech space, 30 years seems like an absolute eternity. Yeah. But how much technology has grown since then? That was cutting edge at that time. Now look at where we are. Where, yeah. where can you see this in another 30 years where can you see the space in 30 years i cannot this is a, such an impossible question to ask because it just seems to be changing all the time um and big yeah. changes i mean i can't even begin to imagine but what do you think i mean you know if, if anyone goes to our company website horizon.io we talk about building a new dimension yeah and I think it will feel like a new dimension, mm -hmm. uh, a dimension where people derive close to as much meaning, perhaps as much meaning, meaning, perhaps some people derive more meaning from this new dimension of virtual worlds and games and experiences. It, yeah, like in the next 30 years, also, of course, it's not just going to be Web3 that plays a role. I do think Web3 is a critical underpinning to like, federating these networks and connecting everything in a decentralized manner i think i think it is necessary to enable like uh this next generation of games but also things like ai and vr and ar are all going to play a role like i was watching the i don't know if you saw the interview with lex friedman and mark zuckerberg in the metaverse yeah oh uh, yes um, yeah 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 it's just like it's so realistic yeah. you can see lex the interviewer just having like uh 
I don't know. The look on his eyes is as though he's experiencing God or, or something because he's like, wow, we're in this new reality and it feels as real as the one that I came from. Wow. And yeah, I, I think, you know, from like a Web3 perspective, I think within the next five to 10 years, Web3 will be a category of games that's as big, if not bigger than free to play. Mm. I think most games will leverage Web3 in some way because I think players will start to demand it, you know, like if you can own the items versus not own the items, like you're generally going to want to own the items, especially if you're paying for them or uh, winning them. And so I think it'll just become the norm yeah. that games leverage free. But then, yeah, as I mentioned, like the confluence of all these technologies and when you think about hardware as well, like whether it's a headset or goggles or a haptic suit, mm. who knows, like. You know, like as a kid, I would often contemplate time travel and teleportation. And I would wonder, like, are we going to achieve that? And the answer is yes, just not in the way that I would have conceptualized as a child. Yep. It's like once you're in these virtual worlds, you can teleport instantaneously yep. if, you know, if the developer allows you to. And, but then, you know, we could have AI generated virtual worlds that could be. Um, driven by voice command and you could just create a whole new landscape for you yourself to explore and you can have items in there that you know that you can own and trade and it's it's gonna be wild man. Like I, <laughs> I and I, I really hope and I, I think it will be built with loving intentions you know that's what we're we're doing at horizon and I think that's what that's what people want right Absolutely. generally like people want a world with love and so I think I'm optimistic about it being like a beautiful place to explore. And yeah, I imagine there will be dark corners because, yeah. you know, folks folks like that too. And like, that's, that's, that's okay. But yeah, I, I, I think it's really exciting. Absolutely. Um, and it's really nice to speak to yourself, Michael, because, you know, it, it fills me with, with hope that, you know, people who are creating these technologies and working in this, in these environments are doing it for the right reasons. Um, and it definitely feels like you are. So, Michael, what a brilliant place to end the recording, I think, on the last message, message that you just shared then. Um, thanks so much for taking this time out of your day to do this. Uh, you've got a lot on your plate, so I cannot believe that you've managed to take a t an hour out of your day to sit and do this. But honestly, we, we really appreciate it. So thank you very much and keep up the amazing, amazing work that you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. And that wraps up another episode of Leading Beyond the Code. We hope you've enjoyed today's discussion and gained valuable insights into the world of leadership in technology. Your support means the world to us, so please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a nice review. Together, we can expand our reach and make a positive impact on the tech community. Until next time, keep pushing boundaries, embracing innovation, and leading beyond the code.